Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. I've got some pictures to show you. There's a trend I've seen lately of siblings recreating their childhood photos that were taken of them. So if you can see some of these, it's pretty impressive, the, the poses that they do and trying to find the same outfits and uh, the same exact uh, setting even, and the same people fitting into the same places. <laughs> it's uh, pretty impressive. Um, and it's fun. Um, it's fun to recreate uh, moments that you have. Yeah, that one was my favorite one. <laughs> even recreating the haircut there. So recreating moments, it's fun. If you ever want to make an impact on somebody, recreate a memory or a moment that you have with them, um, especially in romance. Guys, if you want to spark things with your wife, think back to uh, maybe your first kiss or where you first met, your first date, and uh, it's honestly really easy. Just recreate that moment with her. Uh, when I proposed to Amy, um, I set up this scavenger hunt for her that really just took us back to all the same places that we had been and around Waco and around Burnett, all the, the places that were special to us in our story. Um, I loved it because I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I just took the things we had already done and do those again, and boom, it's romantic, right? Um, which, speaking of proposing, are Kevin and, and Carrie in here? Kevin Fansler and uh, Carrie Shipley, uh, two of our youth volunteers, they are now engaged. So very excited for them. Uh, yeah, there's a picture of them at, at youth this past week. And uh, so, yeah, congrats to them. They've got a really cool story how volunteering at youth, they connected and fell in love and all that fun stuff. And uh, so congratulate them if you get a chance and ask them part of their their story. It's really cool. So we've been in this series called Extraordinary, looking at the extraordinary things that God has done and continues to do. We looked first at Esther, how God uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes, and then Jehoshaphat. Uh, if I can say that right, Jehoshaphat, um, how God works through us and works on our behalf if we seek him with everything. Um, And then it all led up last week to Easter, um, how Jesus is God's extraordinary answer for every problem that we face in life. And every problem, mainly, first and foremost, our problem was sin, right? We, We all have this problem. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short and disobeyed uh, God's standard for us. And so when Jesus died on the cross, we say all the time that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Have you ever thought much about that? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins? What exactly does that mean? If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the main way that we talk about it is that it was a payment or a, a penalty. He took the punishment that we deserved. Um, that, that was an acceptable substitute in God's eyes for the payment, the penalty of death that we should have done. And so by faith in him and what he did, we're saved in that way. And that's, that's awesome. That's an amazing truth uh, to consider and, and keep thinking on and, and worshiping God for. Most importantly, that, that's true and that's biblical. But also in the Bible, there's some more pictures and analogies that it gives us for what exactly was happening for Jesus on the cross and as he rose. It's referred to as a, a sacrifice. It's a ransom or a redemption. It's a battle and a victory over Satan. It's making peace with us who are his enemies. It's setting an example for us. All those things, there, there's lots of different angles to look at it from through the Bible. Um, and today is about one angle of that, and that's redemption. This picture that the Bible gives us of redemption. 
God has given us an extraordinary redemption in Jesus. You might have felt during this series that like I'm, I'm just ordinary. My life is normal. It's honestly kind of boring. Um, like God showed up in, in those big ways in the Bible stories we've talked about. And that's awesome. Those are extraordinary. That's why they got written in the Bible. But for me, I'm just kind of ordinary, boring. I'm not bitter about it or anything, but that's just me. I have an ordinary life. But let me tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have an extraordinary redemption in Jesus. What we read today is a story for all of us, each and every one of us. This is our story of redemption. And so we find this picture of redemption all over the Bible, uh, but particularly what I want to focus on today that I see so clearly is in the story of Peter in John chapter 21. Um, so this is at the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's died on the cross. Good Friday happened. He's risen from the dead. Uh, Resurrection Sunday has happened. Both Peter and John, they got to see the empty tomb for themselves. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples twice. One being when he gave them a taste of the Holy Spirit and of the Great Commission. Um, And then second, when he appeared to them again and he proved it to Thomas by letting him touch the scars. And also let's remember Peter's journey up to this point. So Peter, he's he's kind of the the ready, fire, aim type of guy. You know, just, just go for it. Um, In Matthew 16, when Jesus asked the disciples the most important question, who do you say that I am? Peter's the one who speaks up and he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for for his bold and surprisingly correct answer. And then Jesus goes on to teach them about how he's going to have to suffer and die and then rise from the dead. Peter should have just taken a win at that point, but he had to stick his foot in in his mouth and say, no, Lord, you can't do that. And Peter, uh, Jesus is probably thinking, Peter, that doesn't make sense. Those words don't work together. If I'm Lord, you don't tell me what to do, right? Um, Do you understand what you just said about me being Lord? You know, Peter, the one who wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet, uh, because again, he thought he knew what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, and that doesn't mean humbling yourself and, and serving others. Peter, the one who immediately drew his sword out whenever the mob arrived to arrest Jesus. The other disciples, they were at least, uh, they they asked Jesus, like, should we draw our swords? But not Peter. He just went straight to swinging, and he cut off the servant's ear. And Peter, the one who Jesus told him directly, you're going to deny me. Peter, the one who found himself alone after Jesus was arrested, He's warming himself by the fire, surrounded by the people who had just arrested Jesus. They recognized him and they said, hey, wasn't that you that we saw? And Peter, in a moment of weakness, he found himself too ashamed to stand up for Jesus when the going got tough. He denied even knowing him three times. Peter, the one I'm, I'm guessing who was too uh, ashamed to, he kind of took a back seat during Jesus' first two resurrection appearances to the disciples. He wasn't named during those. I think he was still too, too unsure how to even talk to Jesus at this point. Like, how do you come back from that? What do you say? Like, what, what would Jesus say? What, what does Jesus think of me now? I think Peter was crippled with shame. Has anybody been there before? But Jesus knew. Jesus knew Peter's enthusiasm and his heart. He knew where he had fallen. He knew the shame he had felt. And Jesus knew that Peter was going to need this. And so in, in uh, 
Matthew's account, or Mark's gospel, the angel told the women at the empty tomb, hey, go and get the disciples and Peter and tell them to meet Jesus in Galilee. And Peter. I think Jesus, he's saying, I want all the disciples to to see this, but make sure Peter's there because I got something for Peter. Okay, and that's what we're going to read here in John chapter 21. Let's read. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is in the NLT that I'm reading. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So, seven of the disciples, they go out fishing, um, led by Peter. Peter was a natural leader. He, all throughout the Gospels, he was the one to speak up for the disciples most often. People followed him. And especially now, with Jesus being gone, he had appeared to them, but he wasn't like actively with them. And so they didn't really have much direction. They were just kind of aimless. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee to wait and meet him there. And so here we are. Peter thinks, well, we might as well be productive with our time, so let's go fishing. It's not necessarily that he had abandoned everything and gone back to his old way of life and forget about everything that had happened the past few years. I think that's possible, but it seems like he really is just trying to be practical. Let's be productive and and do something with our time while we're waiting. Peter might have thought at this point that he wasn't a leader, He was disqualified, like no one would follow him. He couldn't influence anybody, especially if they knew what he had done. No one would follow someone who's messed up like that, right? Isn't it the same with us? We assume we don't have any influence on people. We assume we can't make an impact just because of our past, because of the mistakes that we've made, or even just because of our personality, but we can't fall for that. Like no matter what you've done, where you've been, or how many friends you have, or how much you think people like you, God has placed you and only you in your particular setting, your particular job, your particular family to make an impact on people that only you can. So how are you using your influence? And so they they go out fishing um, at night like fishermen typically did, so they would have fresh fish for the market in the morning, but they catch nothing all night. I wonder how common this was for them back then, or if this might have reminded them of another night where they had caught nothing. 
If it wasn't ringing bells in their memory, it was about to. Because you know how you can recreate moments for people to make a special impact? That's what Jesus was setting up here. Just as day was breaking, a man on the shore, he yells out, hey, do y'all have any fish? And they tell him no, expecting that, you know, it's just another fisherman asking for the fishing report. But imagine their confusion at his response. Hey, you know, if you cast your nets on the other side, you'll catch some. Like, wait, no, this isn't just a fisherman. This is a crazy person, right? Like, did you hear what we just said? Like, we haven't caught anything all night. You think if if we cast them over here, like five or 10 feet away, that there's going to be fish now? No, you're crazy. But for they decide to cast just one more time. Any fishermen in here? You know what we're talking about, right? Just one more cast, right? I'm, I'm never going to know what I would have missed if one more time. It could have been the big one. And it was for them, right? Oh, man, John, get over here. you got to help me get the, the fish in. There's too many fish. It's going to break the net. Oh, wait. This is just like when Jesus first called us to follow him, isn't it? John recognized it first. Or, excuse me, the disciple who Jesus loved, right? Um, You know, he's the one writing all this down. He's the one who ran faster than Peter to get to the tomb first. Um, He's he's the one that recognized Jesus first, of course, right? So he tells Peter, it's the Lord. And in typical Peter fashion, you know, ready, fire, aim, he grabs his clothes and throws himself into the water. Like, wait, Peter, why would would you grab your, put your clothes on and then jump into the water? Maybe he he thought he was going to walk on it again this time, right? Uh, but he, he knew how that worked for him last time. I think he flung himself into the water. Um, he left the disciples to deal with the catch and how to get it to shore and everything. He didn't care how messy or wet he was going to get because he just wanted to be with Jesus. Deep down, he knew where he belonged. He knew he had fallen. He had denied Jesus. He knew he had been in a dark place with his shame. But greater than his mistakes, greater than his shame, greater than his doubt of whether Jesus would even take him back or maybe deny him back, greater than all of that was his knowledge deep down that being with Jesus is where he belonged. This is where I think the biggest connection to redemption is for us. I want to explain this this word for y'all. There's a lot of history in the, the Old Testament of this word, if you'll bear with me, okay? Um... Redemption had to do with bringing something back to where it belonged. It's the Hebrew word ga'al, um, and it's defined in God's law in Leviticus chapter 25 through 27. So God set up the nation of Israel um, to where the land that they had, he was going to divide it among all the tribes, all the clans, and every single family exactly how God wanted it divided. And he wanted it to stay that way. Um, so God set up this system called the Year of Jubilee. And he told the Israelites in Leviticus 25, verse 23, he said, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis for the land belongs to me. And so every seven years, they had a Sabbath year where they had to let the land rest and uh, not farm it or anything, just eat whatever naturally grows. And then every seventh Sabbath year, so every 49 years was the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it was a year where everything reset. If your family, somewhere along the way to make ends meet, had to sell part or maybe even all of the land, the land would have to be returned to you on the year of Jubilee. It's hard to imagine an economy based on this, but uh, maybe if you've grown up on some family land and maybe you've had to sell some of it along the way, this might hit pretty close to home to you. Picture that land 
coming back to you and your family in the year of Jubilee. God said that that land belongs in that tribe and that family. So selling it, it's only a temporary sale. It's a lease. Set the price based on how many years until the next Jubilee because that's how long that that family is going to have to farm it before it goes back. And so if you sell some of uh, the land, the family and you maintain the right of redemption. You or your nearest relative who is called the kinsman redeemer, they could always come back and redeem that land to bring it back to where it belongs. For, For a fair price, they could redeem the land back for your family where God intended it. Even before the year of Jubilee came around, at any time, you just have to set the price based on how many years until the next Jubilee. Are y'all following? This is really interesting to me. So even beyond the land, though, sometimes an Israelite, they couldn't make it, and they had to sell themselves into slavery or, or servitude. And in those cases, it was the same thing. Your next of kin, your kinsman redeemer, would have the right and even the duty to redeem you, to bring you back. So your kinsman redeemer had to do everything they could to earn enough money or or whatever to bring you back, to redeem you, to bring you back to the family where you belonged. And that's what the word redeem means, to buy back. Interestingly, there's another angle on this word in the Old Testament as well. Um, God's law in the Old Testament, there was protections against murder. And uh, so if someone were to get murdered... um, the death penalty would apply to the person that murdered them, right? Well, the person who got murdered, their kinsman redeemer, same word there, their next of kin, had the duty to carry out the execution of the murderer. And it's the same word going on there. Um, They had to redeem their, their dead relative by carrying out the execution. But in most Bibles, it's probably translated... Uh, as avenge. They, they had the right to avenge their dead relative and they, because they're the kinsman redeemer. It might say that they're the avenger. Okay? So, for example, if me, um, Scott, Mark, Jeremy, Josh, say we're brothers in Old Testament Israel time and we're working the family farm and uh, we're doing pretty good, right? Um, it, it's going really well, but somebody down the road is jealous of us and wants to sabotage things. So they sneak up at night and they kill me and I get murdered. Okay, so my brothers, being uh, really good brothers that they are, they discover, they solve the mystery, and they know who did it. Them being my next of kin, my kinsman redeemer, they now have the duty to carry out the execution of the one who murdered me. Because they are my kinsman redeemer, they have the, the duty to redeem it or avenge my death because they are the avengers. Get it? I got a, I got a picture to share with y'all. Okay, so you see where all that was going now, Okay. Um, Andrew did a great job with that. I, I see CrossFit has been working out really well for Mark over there. Is he back yet? Oh, he is. Okay, I was wondering if Mark was going to get to see that. Uh, so anyway, all of that was a big aside to explain this Old Testament connection in the word redeem, right? And let's be real, for y'all to get to see an embarrassing picture of them and for your enjoyment, okay? But what we're talking about, though, is redemption, right? It's buying something back. It's putting things back in their intended place where they belong. And we've all been like Peter, there in the boat, feeling shame, separated from Jesus, just fishing, just doing our normal thing, but deep down knowing where we belong. We know. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Deep down, we know we belong in a relationship with the one who created us. So when the opportunity presented itself, Peter gave it his all. 
Again, in typical Peter fashion. He didn't care about the fish anymore. He didn't care if the other disciples wanted to go see Jesus in a more dignified way. He just flung himself in the water to go see Jesus. Because Peter just wanted to go be at Jesus' side where he belonged. And that's why Jesus died. That's why he redeemed us. To bring us to his side. To get us to the place where we belong. Maybe you're here today and you know that's not where you're at. You're out fishing somewhere doing your own thing. Jesus says, come on, fling yourself into the water if you have to, whatever it takes. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. Just come be at my side where you belong. We're all like Peter. We've denied Jesus in some way or other. Maybe you haven't called down curses and denied ever knowing him. But in a spiritual sense, we've been in that rock bottom place. We've all struggled with sin and going against what God wants us to do. Maybe it's anger lashing out at people Maybe it's gossip. Maybe, let's be real, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or another addiction. Or maybe, maybe you know, that kind of casual addiction where you say, oh, this doesn't control me. I can stop anytime I want so you can pass it off to people. Maybe you honestly feel like you're doing pretty good. Like you're not actively rebelling against something that God wants you to do or denying Jesus in or, or anything. But you know you haven't lived up to the things that God calls you to do. Maybe you've grown up in a family who's just gone to church every twice a year, maybe Christmas and Easter, and you happen to be back this week. I'm glad you're here. But deep down, you know that God has something more for you, a life full of, of joy and purpose that he's calling you into a relationship with him. Maybe you've let these past two years pull you away from Christian community like you know you should be in. You've let the busyness of life pull you away from spending time with God in his word and in prayer. Maybe you've let the things of this world pull you away from caring about the things that actually matter for eternity. Jesus says, come to my side. Those things are gonna leave you empty. That's not where you belong. That's not what I created you for. You weren't meant to be consumed by anger. You weren't meant to have your life defined by pornography. You weren't meant to be controlled by fear. You weren't meant to let your whole life be defined by a paycheck or a retirement account. You weren't meant to have your whole life defined by the success of your kids. You were meant to be beside Jesus in a loving relationship with him, pursuing what he calls you to because that's where you have life and purpose and joy. That's where you belong. And Jesus died to redeem you. He paid the price to bring you back to where you belong. And so he recreates this moment for Peter to call him back to following him, to show him what redemption means, to put him where he belongs. But notice another little detail in here before we move on. In verse 9, they get to the shore, and Jesus has a charcoal fire for them with the bread and the fish and everything. There's only uh, one other place where a charcoal fire shows up in the Bible. There's, there's plenty of other fires, right? But only one other place, and it's just a couple chapters ago in John chapter 18, verse 18, um, where, Jesus, uh, where Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire surrounded by the people who had just arrested Jesus, and he denies Jesus three times. So Jesus, he's setting up another moment here. He's, he's recreating another moment to make another impact, especially for Peter. And if he didn't recognize it, he's about to. Okay, so let's read John chapter 21, 
Continuing in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. So is Jesus trying to be a buzzkill here? You know, he, he's, he's recreated this moment and, and they're back to following him. It's like, oh, yay, Jesus, just like old times, we're going to follow you again. And then, bam, I'm going to twist the knife in you, Peter, because you denied me. Take that. Like, no, that's not Jesus' heart here. He's recreating the moment. He's not trying to salt the wound. He's recreating the moment of Peter's denial, you know, the three times, in order to redeem him. Jesus says, we've got to go back there so I can heal you. I'm excited for you to follow me again, but we've, we've got to deal with this. Now, in the, in the words of Mark Kincaid here, now you're just meddling, Jesus, right? <laughs> Can't we just ignore this issue? It's in the past. Um, I, I hate conflict. I can, I can take a lot of things and just sweep them under the rug and move on like it didn't happen, right? This is a difficult conversation I'd rather not have. But Jesus says, no, we've got to deal with this. It might hurt in the moment, but it's going to hurt a lot more in the long run if we don't go there. We've got to go there. So often we try to just move past a sin um, and uh, ignore it into our past. But you can't do that. It's, all, it's always going to stick with you. Your sin and failure and, and even your hurts and things that you've been a victim of, if you don't deal with them, it's always going to be with you in your present. Jesus wants to heal you of your hurts and your failures, not ignore them and act like it's okay. So let's go there. Bring it up. Talk to God about it first and foremost. I mean, it's not like he doesn't already know anyway, right? But beyond that, talk to someone about it. Talk to a trusted friend. Be that trusted friend for someone else to talk to. Talk to a pastor about it. Bring it up in real life group. Talk to a counselor if you need to. Whatever you need to do to get it into the light. That's where healing happens, not in the darkness. And here's the cool thing. We could read plenty of verses and stories of redemption in the Bible. I think of Paul, right? In the Old Testament, Hosea, Ruth, these are all pointing to God's extraordinary redemption of us through Jesus. And that's amazing. That's worth worshiping Jesus for. But the thing I see here with Peter's story is that Jesus didn't just redeem him. Jesus redeemed Peter's failure itself. It's precisely the thing that Peter failed in that Jesus decided to use for good now. It's not like Jesus said, let's heal you of this and then forget that it ever happened. He says, Peter, I know you denied me, but let's work through this and I'm going to turn your failure into something great. Peter's failure, it was denying Jesus when the pressure came, right? When Peter felt alone, like Jesus wasn't there with him, that's when he caved to the pressure of other people. And Jesus didn't redeem Peter to like go and, and work the books behind the scenes in the church or something. Like that would be an awesome job, but not for Peter, Right? He took that exact failure and turned it to good for Peter to reach people now. Instead of caving to the opinions and pressures of other people when he's alone, 
Now Peter was going to go feed sheep. Now he was going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit with him and influence people instead of them influencing him. Like look at the book of Acts, right? He preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved. He's unstoppable now. There's no pressure from other people that are going to affect him anymore because he recognizes now he's not alone. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's right where he belongs. So what is that thing for you? What has Jesus redeemed you from? No matter how, mad, how bad it may be, bring it to the light. Don't expect God just to put it in your past and forget about it. Jesus wants to use that now to turn it into something great. He's redeemed you, yes, but, but he also has redeemed that thing. Romans 8.28, this is one of my favorite verses. I probably use it like every time I preach, but it's so good. It says, and now we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. He doesn't want to leave that failure or that hurt in the past. He wants to use it now for good because he redeemed it. I know it may be embarrassing or awkward to talk about, but you've got to share it. That's what he set you free from. The more we highlight how bad our problems were, the more it highlights just how extraordinary God's redemption is. So what is it for you? Was it addiction, shame, fear, divorce, adultery, drugs, prison, abuse? I understand there, there's a real thing like trauma, and I'm not asking you to relive traumatic experiences over and over, but just consider maybe Maybe Jesus wants to heal you of that and use that moving forward to share that with someone who's struggling with the same thing. Because notice, Peter, uh, Jesus doesn't redeem Peter just to let him go do whatever he wants to now. He, re- he wants him to live out his extraordinary redemption. Peter is forever bound by this new command to go and feed sheep. Jesus redeemed him for a purpose. In that Old Testament system we talked about, redeeming the land or the person, it's so they can be productive again and where they're meant to be. It's the same with us. God calls us to live out our extraordinary redemption. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us out of darkness, out of slavery, and into light, into freedom. But that freedom, it's being a people of his possession, to do what he has called us to do. He has purpose for us, and that purpose is to proclaim his excellencies. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. Jesus doesn't redeem you and set you free just for you to go live however you want, to make a name for yourself, collect a bunch of stuff, and have a nice family. He sets you free to go live it out, to go tell somebody. This is good news. So who in your life needs to hear about this good news? So today as we conclude, what's the, what's the point of this? What do we do with this story? I see three key things if, if we're Christians. Okay, number one, let's always remember our redemption. Jesus has set us free. Remember where we came from, and let that always motivate us to praise God for what he's done in our lives. And two, let's obey him. We're redeemed in order to be where we truly belong, which is at Jesus' side, which is in God's will. 
So we take sin seriously and we want to seek God and his purpose for us and what he wants. And third, let's go tell somebody. He sets you free. That's so exciting. Tell somebody else about it who might be enslaved to the same thing that you might have been enslaved to before. This is good news. And so last, what do we do with this if if I'm not a Christian, if I'm not redeemed yet? You're still enslaved to the sin and, and the ways of the world. Maybe you're just out there fishing on the boat, aimless. Learn this from the story of Peter. There is good news. Jesus is waiting for you at the shore. Fling yourself into the water. You can literally do that today as we get baptized. It's not too late. Um, It can be messy. You don't have to have the right prayer. If you repent and turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you are saved. You're redeemed. It can be messy. Just flinging yourself into the water. Just come be at Jesus' side where you know you belong. Okay? It it is not too late to get baptized. I know we've got people ready to go and we're about to get started on that. But you can come right now. Come and find me and talk to me. Uh, we've got what you need, and, and you can get baptized today. The, the waters of baptism don't save you. It's a symbol of, of Jesus and the living water that saves us and washes our hearts clean. So if that's you today and you haven't been baptized, fling yourself in the water like Peter did, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning and this uh, word that you have for us. God, I thank you for what you did in Peter's life. Lord, I see it like a mirror in in so often in my own life in ways that I've denied you. Maybe enthusiastic at times and and doing great things, but times that I've failed you, God. I've been enslaved to sin like we all have, Lord. And I thank you that you have redeemed me. I don't have to be defined by that anymore, God. You've set me free. Lord, I pray all of us can recognize that story in our own lives. And for anyone in this room or, or listening online, who has not been redeemed and and they're still not where they belong at your side, Jesus. I pray that you will draw their heart to you this morning. Lord, so we worship you today for the things you've redeemed us from. Uh, We sing together of, of how you have set us free, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.